Naked with Adele is about your inner journey, trusting yourself and sharing many lessons. Come on, hold my hand Not sure I understand This role I've been given But I wish someone had to talk to me Like I want to talk to you Naked with Adele is about getting real It's about being able to look at yourself in the mirror and being able to love that person that you see. It's about having the courage to be vulnerable. Welcome to part two of this interview. When we transform, we often notice changes where we are the most vulnerable, our relationships. To have genuine courage and take our partnerships to the next level, it helps to know how to let emotions guide us to feel seen and heard. To get your free download of Chapter 7 of Can You See Me Naked, go to adelgreen.com forward slash free chapter. That is www.adel-green.com forward slash free hyphen chapter. Now back to the interview. You're saying initially there's denial and they want a normal life and they just want to be loved, which is what we all want. But the process that you take them through to see do they do this, don't they do this, is actually a process of seeing what is there, admitting, labeling it as right or wrong, like I can put up with a summer or I cannot, depending on where they are. And that's the point where they test the result of what they get and how they judge it against their self-value. And that's why you, if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is if you love yourself enough, you will say enough and move on because that's the antidote. Yeah, I love that. If you love yourself enough, you say enough. <laughs> I like that. And and it's it's this is something that I I struggled with growing up. Um, if I could share my personal story, yes, I'd love for understand. you to share. There's nothing like personal sharing. And when you share with us, I'm going to specifically listen for where your feminine values are, <laughs> and I like them for us afterwards. So please take your time. My story is I lost my mother when I was six years old. She died in a car accident and I was with her and she was driving me to ballet class at the time. And we were hit by an ambulance of all things. Um, that ambulance was going to another emergency scene and we were hit. So he went through a red light and hit us. And from there forward, you know, my life changed forever. And I myself was very, very wounded and basically, you know, almost didn't survive myself. But moving out of that, my father, who grew up with English parents, he's American, but he grew up as an English boy, basically, until he moved here, and had two very stoic English parents. He was an only child and did not really get a lot of affection or love from his parents. And my uh, mother was quite the opposite. And with her absence, I was really just left alone with my father, who really was not able to emote and give me a lot of empathy. From there, I had a lot of nannies and, and live-in daycare as my father worked. And those nannies came in and out of my life kind of like a revolving door. And I basically struggled through constant abandonment and constant inconsistency with love and affection 
to the point where you t- I took as much as I could get. You start to settle. You, if you don't settle, you're going to be in constant uh, shame and, and, and constant disappointment. So it's a, it's a protective measure. And from there, my dad, uh, I'd say four years later, remarried a woman who also was not able to emote or give a lot of love and affection. So I grew up quite quickly. I'd say by the time I was 13, I was doing a lot of things on my own. And, and all of these things were probably the good side of, of my whole life story. But I really, really craved love like a dried up sponge needing water. And I'd say by the time I started dating at 14, 15 years old, any boy that came into my life, I probably held on to him and thought I was going to marry this boy every single time. And every time I was overly clingy, he would walk away and I would be devastated. And I mean devastated. It took me forever to get over a breakup. And of course, that is just such a representation of just abandonment, fear of abandonment. And by the time I got into college, I met my ex-husband. And I was just a sophomore, which was my second year in school. And this man was my knight in shining armor. And this is what narcissists do. They are your knight in shining armor. They they take you away from the your wicked stepmother, just like Cinderella. They just take you away, and it feels so intoxicating. And that's what happened. I, I fell madly in love. There were a lot of red flags going on in the beginning of the relationship, but because the way he loved me was in such a fatherly role that I never, ever had. All those red flags, I said, don't speak up, Lindsay. Those are kind of the thoughts. Don't speak up or he might leave you. And I didn't want to be in that place again. And here I'm in college, which is you're all alone anyway. And so I really grew a a huge dependency of him. And once he left, um, he graduated two years before I did. I was an absolute wreck. I didn't even know how to function without him. And he moved to Maryland, which is where I live now. And for those two years, he really um, enabled the dependency I had for him even more. So... It was like when he was gone, I couldn't function. So by the time I graduated, I had job offers in New York City. I was a budding journalist at the time. I had job offer. I had a job offer at Rolling Stone magazine, and this is, <laughs> this is the thing that kills me. And I had this job offer, and I turned it down because I turned them all down, and I moved to Maryland with no job. And because I had at this point been somewhat brainwashed into thinking I could not live without this man. Fast forward to all these years, got married, had kids before I was 30. And I, it's really when I turned 30, I started to grow up and I thought, what the hell am I doing? Who am I? What do I want? And the more I started to become stepping into my truth, like I said, the more I started doing that, the more I realized I'm with the wrong person. And it pretty much took me five years to break away from that relationship. But the story doesn't end there because after that relationship ended and I got divorced, the same feeling of abandonment and loneliness started all over again. And I jumped into a relationship with another narcissist who was 10 times worse. That's when I hit my rock bottom. That's when it all happened. And I realized my entire life was about finding someone to heal me 
rather than finding me to heal me. And when you hit rock bottom, and what rock bottom was for me was just depression, can't get out of bed, crying, and and feeling like God hates me, and I would curse at God, and like, you don't even belong here on this planet. And then once I realized I have a place on this planet, I started to just turn myself around. And that's, that's that journey. It's the discovery, I think, of three years that I went on. And once I learned that, I started writing and I had to teach other people how to do it. So that's pretty much where I am. But that's I know what it's like to rely on someone else to fix you. And it's the worst place. So that's what I help people do is to fix you need to fix you. So that's my story. It's an amazing story. And from the way that you tell it, one can always hear where somebody is in their own process. And I always um, say that there's something that triggers it for us. And you've had a trigger really early on in your life, you know, when your mother died and you had this emptiness because all of a sudden there was no constant caregiver and somebody to nurture you. You were completely all alone. (laughs) Um, And without consistency... And without the amount of love that you've grown accustomed to, what were you supposed to do? So that's the imprint set right there to search for love. And obviously, when you're going to find somebody who's prepared to say, okay, I'll be your world, I'll fill your world with me, it's going to come with conditions. Typical narcissist setup right there. To break away from it, then you repeated the process again bigger, <laughs> harder, so, which is why this is what you teach now. Yes. And, you know, the, the, the frustrating part is I was in therapy for about five years <laughs> and no, there was no mention to me. And I liked my therapist, but there was never a mention that my husband at the time could have been a narcissist or my father. And so once I met this other guy, that's when someone told me he's a total narcissist. And I started reading books. I mean, you know, I I put my journalism hat on and I had to research. I said, what the hell does that really mean? And when I, I remember walking to the bookstore and just falling over, I literally grabbed about three books and I fell to the floor because it described my life to a T. And it put so much structure around it. It was actually quite, I was happy as much as it was painful to read it. It made sense. It was like a diagnosis as to why this was happening. So you saw that right there and you couldn't deny it anymore, which is what you do with with other people now. So that was when you saw it and then you had to admit it. And then like in your words, yeah, yeah, and that's where you stepped into your truth. But how did you know how to do that? At that point when you were going through your own process it's that kind of that rock bottom it's it's where you feel so awful that you, there's no way to go but up and I think part of it too having lost a mother ironically at the age this was happening to me was the age of my mother okay so I was 34 and that's what my mother died at 34 and I think there was a part of me that I didn't want her death to go in vain by moving into my 35th year 
in pain because it's almost like she was never offered that opportunity. And I know, I don't even know if that makes sense, but it was, it was, oh my gosh. And I have two small children at the time and I got to get my life together. This is ridiculous. I can't be doing this to myself anymore. And I think where my addiction was, and I didn't know it wasn't even addiction is I couldn't be alone. I had no idea how to be alone. I went from college to moving in, I moved, I didn't even go home. I packed up my car in college and went straight to his house. And I never left. I never went home. I never moved. I had never had my own apartment. And so, uh, and then you have kids and then you're never alone. I mean, you can't even go to the bathroom alone when you have kids. And so once I moved into my new home and on the days I didn't have my kids and I had this huge empty space, it felt like you're going through a detox. You have no, it doesn't feel good. And so you're first, when things don't feel good, you have to reach for what's familiar. And that's another person. And this is the problem. And I, and I meet people who are coming to me. I don't know why I'm in the same pattern. I keep meeting the same person. And this is the pattern. It's when you're afraid of being alone. And so I really had to force myself and give myself different things to do and and discovering who I was. I didn't know who Lindsay was. How did you do that? Well, I journaled quite a bit. I had to change the way I journaled. You know, I used to journal with complaining and what was done to me, I would journal in a victim mode. What so-and-so did to me, what happened to me at work, what my clients said to me. And I think it was, you know, reading some, I have read a few books and just empowerment and, and, and having uh, self-love and a lot of spiritual books that I started to journal and write differently of what I did today, what, how I changed my day. And, and I just started giving myself some power in the smallest ways. And then I allowed myself to really figure out who it is that I, I was. I have a lot of creativity and my ex was very threatened by it. And so I was always a very good writer. Um, I was always very funny. I always liked music. I, I just have a creative thing to me. And I was so stifled that in my head, I thought it was wrong. And I just allowed myself to do that. So I started creative writing contests. I picked up guitar lessons. I actually went to an open mic night and did a stand-up comedy routine. And I did all of this by myself. And I started rock climbing. I started meeting up with strangers on meetups and going hiking and I just realized, oh my gosh, I have so many options. I have so many options and, and ways to live my life. Every time I'd drive home from taking a risk, I would just drive with a huge smile on my face because I did it. No one told me I couldn't do it. I may not have done it perfectly, but I loved not having anyone to tell me not to do it or that I couldn't do it, or if I did do it, it, it was neither good or bad. It just was. And it was those little, those were, I counted those as little wins. And you do enough of that, that's when you start to transform and shift. I can completely, completely relate to what you're saying there. There's a part of me that did the same thing, which is why I can relate. I thought, well, I needed to taste. 
is it true that what is your truth is what you believe? So I would yeah. test the boundaries of nature. And there's a, an element in the process when we transform where we go through this risk thing. And it's often a sign, you know, for me, feedback to see where people are. Sometimes when you say to them, well, you know, go explore, go find out who you are. What could you do? What are the type of things that you can do that will support you figuring out who you are? Because we really have to go back to be kids. We have to be curious. We, we must think without outcomes or expectations, you know, and just explore. And that's normal, we would think, for human beings. But it's as if we lose that when we fall into these control systems and these, these fear mm-hmm. orbits that we live in of what we can and cannot do and these are our roles and they kind of cast in stone. But I remember myself going through that process and the crazy things I used to get up to because it's the most out-of-character thing you can think of. But what I want to ask you, because this to me is one of the true definitive skills that we can develop within feminine leadership. So it's true to what we need and finding ways to express it, but this is part of the discovery process. And it takes courage to go do things which is out of character for you. How did you get to this point? What was the build-up? And when you were going through these little wins, were you still in your relationship? Where were you in the stage of your relationship? No, I was totally done single. I had been heartbroken. <laughs> so were you trying to fill the space, the emptiness, that void with these things, the doing things? Yes. And I love how you use that word void because that's a word I use a lot in the, how I write and the work I do. Because that void started probably the day my mother died. It's, it's a painful void, and I did, no one wants to go back there. And the void continues to get reopened. It's a wound or void every time I got abandoned by somebody. Mm-hmm. And the only way that void felt closed is if someone new came into my life. So a new nanny, a, a, a stepmother, a, a friend. And what a horrible place to be to rely on your own happiness on someone else. So I became very crystal clear with that is when when you have a void that hasn't been ever really filled by you, it's a very dangerous place because then someone is always going to have the higher power over you. So I had to become very crystal clear with that. And once I did, I it, this is where the addiction of, of not making sure I did not meet anyone for a year. I didn't, I didn't want to date. I didn't want to, and it, oh, it's, it's hard not to, um, you know, I'm, I'm always very outgoing. So I'd find myself going out with my girlfriends and I would get asked out and I had to say, no, I had to. And, um, so on those days that I didn't have my kids, they were poof, very lonely some days. And I, and I had to just, it's like giving up your addiction or wanting a cigarette or wanting something. And I had to just stick with it and say, no, no, no. So I had to find ways of giving myself what a man would give me. And I often had date nights with myself. So there were times where I, I love sushi and it's a kind of an expensive indulgence. And I would just say, I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to get my most favorite sushi. I would go and buy the nicest champagne, something that I would want a man to give me. Mm-hmm. And I started doing that for me. I started turning off all the electronics and having 
kind of a date night with myself and having candles, I really started in, in, to indulge. I would buy, you know, the expensive uh, aromatherapy oils and put them in a bath. And I started to feel quite special. And when you realize, oh, this is this, such a shift in the transformation, when you realize that you are special because you have given yourself the time to be special and no one else is telling you that, you are pretty much fearless and powerful and unstoppable at that point. And when you become in such a space of self-love that no matter who comes into your life, you know you can handle their departure if that happens to happen down the road. And then you no longer depend on anyone to give you the joy that you can now give yourself. That is such an amazing way to put it. You know, when we talk about self-love, everybody has their own little idea, but everything is always so boxed and narrow vision. Yeah. But what you've just said there, and I love that word date night with yourself, because until you know how to fill that void to give you that feeling that whatever that is for you, you will not know how to stop running off to other people. Are you secretly fantasizing about another life? I've been to Georgia and California and anywhere I could run. Took the hand of a preacher man and we made love in the sun. But I ran out of places and friendly faces because I had to be Naked with Adele is about your inner journey, trusting yourself and sharing many lessons. Come on, hold my hand, not sure I understand, this role I've been given, but I wish someone had a talk to me like I want to talk to you. It's choosing to remove the mask and reaching within to bear your soul. Now I see if I wear a mask I can fool the world but I cannot fool my heart. It's about women staying true to who they are. I love you but I gotta stay true My morals got me on my knees I'm begging please Naked with the Dallas about getting real. It's about being able to look at yourself in the mirror and being able to love that person that you see. It's about having the courage to be vulnerable. So I let down my guard, drive my defenses down by my clothes. I'm learning to fall with no safety net to cushion the now start those deep, long, overdue conversations with yourself. I'm your mind, giving you someone to talk to. Hello. And once you make up your mind, the journey begins. I've made up my mind. Don't need to think it over If I'm wrong, I am right Don't need to look no further I'm Adele Green 
and this empty chair next to me is just for you. Come and join me. Register for your membership free to get this show and many resources at www.adel-green.com or you can tweet her at Naked with Adele.